episode of Ain't That Swell, the original degenerate surf podcast is proudly presented by our good pals at Billabong. The Bong have been on board with our live shows for over five years, bringing the shenanigans, mayhem, the wild, the weird and the wonderful around the country and sharing it with the swellians everywhere. And now that partnership has extended to a weekly drop of the OG Rant Fest featuring your boys, Smith and Deadly. Yep, Bong will be back in a regular app of ATS every Friday from now on. That means you'll be cruising into the weekend with more fizz than an East Coast low. Right now, Billies have just dropped a new clip from the Lennox head swami of style, Jai Glinderman. It's called Fraudulent Behaviour, and you can scope it wherever there's decent Wi-Fi. Up the Glindo, up the Grigor, up the Bong, and up the fucking Swellians. Yeah, the Bong. Only a swellian knows them. Hey, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to say, and I ASP are going to find me, because I want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think they got their, his testicles so far out their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the quarterback. Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Oh, that's the paper thing? Oh, surf looks good, Ivan. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back! <laughs> Get a haircut. Yeah, shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, the radio show dedicated to cutting fucking sick. sick. I'm your host, the two-time Gold Cone Piece Award winning surf journalist, Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch drunk pikey, the sultan of psilocybin. The maestro of micro-dosing, Smithy. <laughs> I'm joined here as always by my loyal co-host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor of Surfing World magazine, Attracts magazine, and Waves magazine, Vaughn Rinsed Corn Deadly. Hey. G'day, Smithy. Vaughn, how art thou? I spot a couple of juicy oyster patches under the armpits. <laughs> it's a muggy day up here in the Northern Rivers. But yep. uh, we wouldn't want it any other way. There's fun waves around. And, uh, mate, I'll tell you, I don't know about the fun waves around out the front because I've just been riding the wave of COVID, mm. the third wave as it is. Mate, how you going, Smith? Are you all right? Uh, the energy levels are pretty maxed out. Mm-hmm. I've done fuck all and uh, i guess that is the just typical root of the covid illness mm. yeah not the best don't no. recommend it but it's getting around at the moment i'm pretty sure i uh copped it from the kebab stand at manly after Ooh. our show down there with noah dean and mm. harry bryant um yeah i mean ugh, fuck i think i walked out of that joint with syphilis too it was just <laughs> absolutely rampant viral deluxe wow <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, oh, yeah. I was uh, worried about you. Uh, I, I heard you had COVID. I thought I'd give you a wide berth. I actually jumped on a plane down to Adelaide, went to Harvest Rock Festival, which was absolutely sick, mate. I had such a good time. It was a, kind of like a uh, eclectic lineup, but mm. lots of big, big, big acts and stuff like that. But 
plenty of Swellians down there, mate. Big shout out to all the Swellians who said g'day. Always love bumping into the Swellians. And, um, yeah, had a bit of a transformative moment with uh, one band, Smitty. Wasn't really expecting it. But, yeah, Goanna, the great Australian 70s, 80s pub band uh, that's been around, obviously, you know, what, three, four, five decades, reformed for the AFL Grand Final and pretty much just fucking melted my mind, eh? Like, brought me to tears. Can we cop a blast from yeah, 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 let's have right a listen. Now. Yeah, let's have a listen because, mate, not only is this one of the most iconic songs ever written, it just hit home when we were there, man. And it could have been, you know, it could have been, uh, I don't know, the various substances that were floating around my system. But dead set, this, this was just a fucking moment. Have a listen. Revisit the glory of Solid Rock.
some run life. Smithy, how good does that feel? As good as it gets, gets the hairs on the back of my neck, my legs, my prong standing to attention, mm. Vaughn. Yeah, I was just overwhelmed, man. I just felt like, how the fuck did we get it so fucking wrong in this country, man? Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of healing to do. There's a lot of uh, looking within that all Australians, uh, you know, all Australians need to reconnect with this country. They need to reconnect with... The uh, First Nations people, they need to reconnect with with so many things. And, like, you know, everything we heard at Swellness, Smith, really spoke to me about that. You know, I could feel that a big part of our disconnection as a society in this country is the fact that we just really haven't made enough of an effort to know the stories, to know the language, to know the culture that has been here for 60,000 years. And, mate, it's there. It's right fucking there. You can connect so easily and Goanna did it uh, from the best place, you know, from a place of love, from a place of optimism and hope, not from a place of just, uh, I don't know, like, you know, that, that kind of... The token gestures, yeah, the, not the, the token woken gestures, like, the, uh, oh, here, we'll slap a, a black face on a corporate advertisement or a, a government initiative, and, oh, well, that's fucking, yeah. that's all we need to do. Yeah, but Just the more healing, representation in the media. Yeah, <laughs> and the healing's just got to start Classical. with listening, man. we just got to get in the face of this fucking beautiful ancient culture and sit down and shut up and just fucking soak it in because it is fucking magical, man. Mm, well said. But, yeah, epic weekend and, uh, yeah, good little shorty bash this morning. Woo! Got a couple of little runners, man. Was not expecting it. It looked dead flat. Paddled out on me little uh, DHD Phoenix. Then uh, went really, really good. Well, that's mad. Thanks, man. Very mad. Yeah, feeling good. Finger buns just sitting in the room They're sweet and sticky and absolutely delicious Finger buns, finger buns Feed your face in finger buns Number four at number five, the Florence's are machines, Vaughn. Mm. Are they even humanoids? What dwells beneath that thin, translucent layer of skin? 
I don't know if it's a bunch of fucking wires and pointy bits, but fuck, they're on a tear. Uh, John's new film, Gravity, hits pretty hard. And uh, so too does Nate Florence with his insane mm. backside kick stall onto a 1,000-foot phone ball at Mulligmore, riding a 100-foot board. Mm. It was, uh, yeah, what some are calling the craziest cone of all time and not a moment too soon, Vaughn. Mm. We predicted as such, I believe it was a one or two days just before, some of the feedback on this huge Mondo pit at the Mulligmore, the cold water chopes, uh, Mark Healy called it, uh, he said, you may have two, you may have my two favorite backhand tube rides ever. Wow. So he's uh, talking the chopes under the ledge, swing, drop, no hand, blow out. And uh, the Mulligmore roll in onto the foam ball, which is surely the greatest foam ball ride of all time. Ramon Navarro at Cloudbreak might be, might, might get him, but I don't know. I don't know, man. Jeez. Not for me. Because Ramon does a full floater on the shockwave. Like, if you remember that wave, he is oh, yeah. banging along. He's going 10,000 miles an hour, and he actually rides on his, like, you know, he must be on a 9-foot, 10, 10-foot board, and he does the big floater over the shockwave. But this this thing just gobbled him up like Cookie Monster, mate. We want something delicious. Blah, 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 blah. Cookie. Backside kick stalls are so difficult at the best of times to you know, wash off that speed and get the angle just right. And, I mean, this guy's riding a 10-foot board mm. and it completely disappears in the foam. And at a wave that is not... It's not a wave where you've got much of a clue or how to ride it or where you're meant to be sitting. And there's not that sort of... Uh, what is it? That osmosis of just watching... You know, we've all watched Cloud Break since Kelly Slater in black and white and probably since years before that. But... It gives you that sixth sense of how to uh, approach the line and what to do. Like, surely Nath has not surfed that much Mulligmore before. Mm. Eh? Oh, oh, Smithy. <laughs> just, uh, do you reckon he saw a leprechaun in there and just, uh, you know, the salty soul for a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, Smithy? Oh, they were no doubt swirling around his head while he was in the pit. Uh, just leprechauns and pots of gold and rainbows and stout pies and Guinnesses just <laughs> swirling around and around and around. And then the next minute he was in daylight. Oh, I've got a little deal for you there, Nathan. You want to make this barrel? <laughs> a pot of gold. Yeah. No, it's a good point, though. I mean, fuck, it's it's freezing cold out there. He's in five mil of rubber. Mm. It's warbly and unpredictable. It's not cloud break. It's not the tropics. You're not in bodies and an impact vest. Uh, mm. So, yeah, just such an unlikely wave. So crazy to have the just the raw talent. To be able to wrangle a board that size in such an unpredictable situation with so much turbulence mm. and get blown out. I mean, really one of the most technical and courageous tube rides of all time. Big shout out to Ramon Navarro, though. I'm pretty sure he packed, you know, basically the first make on that day in 2012 and mm. basically rocketed him into global celebrity with one wave. I watched that wave live. It fucking blew mm. my eyeballs. I was looking straight into it. Wow. Straight into it on a boat, just watching his board do the big, you know, side to side, almost like a snowboarding sort of move where it was just riding a, a big old pocket of air. It was bucking him around. It was unbelievable. And um, yeah, mate, uh, the greatest story is never told. If, uh, if it's already been published, go back and have a listen. Fiji 2012, I actually read three stories from that day, two by Doherty, one by myself. And um, far out reading him was just sick, mate. I was just going, wow, I'm so transported back to that moment and some of the things I saw. But 
geez, big wave surfing's come such a long way since then, hasn't it? Like that felt like we might never even see it again. That's that was the mood in uh, or on Fiji or sorry Tabarua that night was like, will we ever see anything like that again? And ever since then, it's like the glass ceiling just gets smashed with every new swell. I don't know if there's is if is, is there more big swells than there used to be, or is it just that people are so tapped into these swell charts? that they're able to just pinpoint exactly where the conditions, the tide, and everything is going to come together, and they can just land bang on for the exact wave that is going to be, you know, the next game changer. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's hard to say why it's all happening, but, uh, I mean, the board technology, the impact vest, just the shift back towards paddle surfing uh, at the expense of toe surfing has been a big part of it. I mean... That said, I can't actually think of a day of surfing that stacks up to that 2012 day. Well, that's that's what separates it. It's not so much that uh, there hasn't been bigger waves. Um, there's been plenty of individual rides that, you know, you could say, wow, that's, that's probably the new benchmark. Mm. But the one takeaway I had from going back over those stories was that everyone was like, mate, it was perfect. And it was perfect. And it just kept getting bigger. Hour after hour after hour. It peaked like well after dark, that swell. So what was going on when everyone was, you know, back on the islands, God only knows. But uh, yeah, it's the most it's the most prolonged period of just big wave, ab- like perfection ever seen and ever surfed. Was there anyone sitting out there on dark just looking for that last one before the guess is that? Oh, if there was, it, it. I can't remember exactly what the scenario was right at the end of the day. Like who was the last person out there? But I remember that um, it, it was a pretty famous story that Dave Wassell had been sitting there calling it all day long. You know, sitting back. The the, the commentary booth wasn't on the tower. It was back on Tavarua, so they were doing the feed from the boats. And the tower back to Tavarua. He's sitting on an island. You know, this guy who just lives for these days. And uh, when he finally got out there, caught one wave. And Kai Garcia, his good friend from, uh, you know, the Volcom team and the Volcom house just said, go in. Go in. You're not getting a better one than that. And that was that wave where he paddled out that the whole crew knew that he'd, what he'd been up to. And they just said, next one's yours. And he was like, really? And he ended up getting, you know, eight covers around the world from it. So, legendary shit went oh, down man. that day man and but yeah i mean individual rides like see that's even that kind of doesn't stand up to what nate florence just did to me like it's it's kind of like this guy's paddled in on a reef where he has he surfed there before we don't know like maybe once maybe twice but there's just no real knowledge of how to like what his line should be on that wave other than maybe what connor and the boys are telling him Mm. which is a whole nother skill set. You're relying on pure instinct, man. And like, I guess in some ways, that's what they're all relying on all the time. But like you said at the top of this, man, that is just surfing on a whole nother level. That's understanding ocean that in a way that I feel only the Florences do. A hundred percent. They're in a league of their own when the waves are in the mortal conequential oh, range. Cone of mortal conequence. And the Florences, but yeah. I mean, and you, you compare the waves too. Uh, Cloudbreaker, uh, you know, yeah, it was fucking 15 to 20 foot, but it is a ruler edge Pacific Atoll. Mm. Mulligmore is this boiling, gross, fucking black slab, <laughs> fucking big chandeliering sections. It's just, uh, I mean, that, that, that swell, that wave, it seemed to be kind of maxed out, almost too big for it, almost on the cusp of towing it. Mm. 
fuck, it's crazy to see a guy from an island in the Pacific who's used to surfing in boardies and mm. vests just out there wrangling something like that. It's so surreal. And it, as you said, Vaughn, just absolutely speaks to the, the pure talent that only those two brothers seem mm. to have. Ivan, a little bit short-changed, let's be honest, but fuck he ribs. Short-changed in the hair department. I mean, oh, look. Ripped I, I, off! As a bald man myself, I feel nothing but sympathy for Ive, mate. <laughs> But, uh, geez, he's, uh, he's got a wild card of the Pipe Masters, so don't write him off just yet, mate. If there's ever been fuel, Smithy, <laughs> to fucking pull the iron out of the fire and stick your one fair up, your brothers. <laughs> Hope you get the lot, you dog. Big shout out to the uh, Irish big wave surfing crew, though, man. Fuck. Like, since uh, we've spoken, uh, who, who we spoke to Connor, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, so since we've spoken to Connor, like, just keeping an eye on that scene and what they're doing up there now, uh, from all the way back to... Uh, Berg and Mikey, right through to now, is proper mind melt. Proper mind melting big wave scene up there. And fucking, I'm down with the Irish Smithy. I can't wait to get over there. Get on the Guinness with the uh, Irish boys. How fun will that be? Oh, so good. And a, a few quick doffs of the cap to a handful of other skits edits that have come out recently. Uh, Jai Glinderman's Fraudulent just dropped a, a neat little Zimbabwean sojourn. And I actually ran into Glindo during that trip. Was hunting a couple myself. Mm. Uh, and yeah, he, he actually gave me the lowdown on the psychopathic rage that some uh, Lakey Peakian flew into during a session at Periscopes there. It was psycho. That, you know, Jai's such a, a quiet, shy kid. Mm. Um, and, yeah, uh, uh, there's a bit of a problem over there at Lakey's with uh, Shabu Ice. And, uh, yeah, just th- there's some – fuck, things are going a bit pear-shaped over there. It's such a weird one when you have a place that's dependent on tourism, but then it reaches a tipping point where the people who live there are actually not only ambivalent towards tourism, but straight-out hostile at times. Mm. Jai copped that on full blast, the poor bugger. Um, and, yeah, you know <laughs> – I've been going there for years and heard so many similar stories. It's such a popular surfing destination, yet at the same time, the tribal law there is so brutal and out of control. People getting chopped with machetes Mm. and, um, you know, just, oh, mate, fuck. I have so many stories I could share. uh, And, mate, do you want to... They're kind of long-winded, some of them. Uh, A Kiwi fella who... Owned a this is a, a, an iconic Lakey Peak story. Mm. Uh, a Kiwi fella owned a, a homestay or something there, and there was this infamous character I used to get around with a samurai sword or, a, or extended machete, and they, they'd get on the piss together uh, every now and then. And this one night, uh, they're on the piss, and the piss runs out, and the bloke of the sword starts losing his shit. Uh, as you know, that's what alcohol does sometimes. Mm. He, once it runs out, you just enter this fucking weird paranoid funk of anger and rage and unaddressed emotional turmoil and the dude's lost the plot and he's gone to cut this guy with his sword. He's taking a big backswing, but the sword gets caught in the rafters uh, and the Kiwi bloke's able to just grab him by the throat and pin him to the ground and then ends up throwing him off. The, they're on the, the first floor, so he just throws him off the balcony. Anyway, this guy was on his last strike with the, the local village and, and, and coppers. So the coppers pick the guy up, they take him to prison in Beamer, and they break every bone in his body with a padlock. And, uh, yeah. yeah, they just fucking went to town on him. And he returned a very humble and mm. quiet man. Mm. Uh, but that's that's some uh, Lakey Peak justice yeah. for you. Yeah. And uh, 
it was further up the coast that I bumped into Jai and yeah, fuck mate. Uh, you know, who knew he could go left? Mm. I haven't seen him go backside, <laughs> but fuck, he's good at it. Yeah, and, mate. Uh, he surfed a lot of that session with a psycho gash in the back of his leg from a fin chop. Uh, but yeah, just crazy to watch him in the flesh on that long period energy on, on a ruler edge slab like that. Just the squirts of speed, even a couple little kind of highline backside whips before packing it like crazy on another level compared yeah. to everyone out there, obviously. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's he's such a cool anomaly, isn't he? He doesn't fit into sort of what we, the pathway or, or what you'd view as your sort of typical route to surf stardom. He's just one of those guys who took off on a wave, and I guess it's like Ando or Mikey February, where there's just something sort of simmering about his, his style, the way that he just swoops it. Uh, he's just so easy on the eye, isn't he? And, and like, man, he... he I think the other thing is just line, you know, like sometimes people just have the read and it's, um, it's impossible to quantify what they're doing. That's different, but it just is. Mm. And you know, well, the way that they position their boards on waves, the way that they're able to sort of like really deep rail and connect it all with no kinks. He's just uh, a beautiful surfer to watch. I mean, a product of Lennox head, it, it, it's been a pumping three years. So up this way, he has been able to really brew his surfing to the perfect source. Like, it is just uh, absolutely bang on. I love watching him surf. And it's it's just so cool to see a guy who has that read getting rewarded for it. You mm. know, getting getting some sponsorship dollars, getting on an, you know, an A-class team and being able to just surf the way he surfs. And you can see that against... Every other guy that he surfs with in these big billabong trips, it was in um, Interlusion as well. He's just got his own vibe going on. Mm. And uh, full credit to the bong for uh, recognising that and getting him in the mix. Mm. Yeah, he's the next cab off the rank. I mean, Australia's always produced those quintessential stylish point mm. break surfers from Parco to Asher Pacey, uh, you know, Glindo. It's endless cavalcade fanning. And he's got uh, the touch of the cool, Margos about stylish. him, like that kind of top heavy, you know, just that big swoop. I used to love the Margot like swoopiness, you know, and he was another guy who surfed pretty unconventionally, really like didn't have that five to the three to the beach thing or, or that really tight, uh, just rapid fire getting the turns off. But when he unloaded, fuck, how good did it look? The and big fella. Big shout out to Glindo too. He packed one of the, it's got to be in the <sighs> top five or maybe all time best tube rides at Atlantic. That point is ever. insane. That, yeah, that's on Griggy's uh, Instagram, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's on Glindo's as well. It's a yeah. fucking stonker of a pit. It's in that kind of eight-foot range and just goes go-go gadget. <laughs> just <laughs> keeps, keeps going. Oh, he's been on an absolute heat of the yeah. Glindo. Well the played. Glindo well played. Doff the, uh, doff the cap. And Albie Layer's Delirium. Uh, another fucking quintessentially oddball edit from the... Great Mawaiian. Uh, and I mean, geez, he's just such a strange yet undeniably captivating talent, isn't he? Mm. I mean, only equaled in strangeness and captivation by the musical selections that accompany his films. Uh, you know, everything from techno rap to skits, hardcore death metal, all narrated by some strange wise man delivering a soliloquy on the hardships of existence. Uh, it was very peculiar, but just unmissable. Like, mm. you can't look away. Those backside full roads into that crazy wind they have there. Mm. And 
oh man, just the the alley oops, you know, the the five forty oop, and like the, just the the velocity of the rotation he gets. He's, he's a nuggety, you know, he's not a particularly athletic looking dude. He's just a kind of a, a keg on legs mm. frame, but fuck, he hucks it like no one else. It's quite unconventional, but there's just so much risk and danger in what he's doing, uh, and obviously, you know. Making the West Bowl at Jaws look mm. like Indo yeah. is a pretty skits achievement. Yeah, he's such a. It's so hard to put your finger on what the missing link is for Albie because there's something missing, right? Like he, he for what, how good he surfs, for the airs he does, for the waves he's packing, everything is there for him to be like a Kyle Lenny, like earning that massive big coin. Um, you know what, what is it, Smithy? Like why is there just that? I don't know, that sort of feeling that he's been underdone, like he feels it, he's constantly on about it. So what is it that, that would you put your finger on it if you had to pick something? It, it's not the missing link in Albie's game. It's the missing link between the mainstream surf industry and the core surfing public. And mm. that link, that missing link has been there for, you know, almost two decades mm. now where there's this huge disconnect between what's happening in uh, the, the top rung of the brands. And, and as a result, you saw a lot of those band, brands really falter uh, for a period there because the core surfing public were turning their back on them. Mm. And I think, you know, Albie is a classic example of a guy who's just not marketable in that mainstream sense of the word where Kai is. You know, he's a very kind of gristled, uh, surly, opinionated <laughs> core guy. They always seem to be like that. <laughs> and he's just going to he's gonna speak his truth yeah. and uh, consequences be damned. Mm. And those consequences are always financial in their nature. And it's not just in surfing. That's across the board. If you want to speak truth, you can uh, guarantee that you'll have no corporate backing. Mm. And at worst, you'll be doing fucking seven years in solitary confinement in Belmarsh Prison. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you're probably bang on there, man. I mean, um, Barton Lynch, never, you know, world champion, very opinionated, often, uh, you know, trying to fight for things that he thought were the right way to go, whether it was, you know, for the betterment of surfing in, in general or against the industry. And, you know, never really got that, that top dollar sponsorship, even as a world champion. And, I mean, if you look at women's surfing, fuck, the story, those stories are just endless. You, you, you will find no shortage of talent, no shortage of battler fucking bravado and no shortage of fucking paychecks that didn't turn up in the mail because they were fighting for something that they truly believed in. So mm. maybe that's what it is. That's it. Just get in line, fucking get your gruel, get your fucking soil and green, <laughs> go and sit in the corner and wait for your fucking sticker. And uh, finally, a doff the cap to Sendo by Parker Coffin, just a wall-to-wall cone-fest at Pipe. And I'll watch that if my hair's on fire. <laughs> uh, mate, fuck, he has this one in there. May have been from the backdoor shootout. It is the knife to end all knives. Doesn't mm. make it, doesn't make the tube, but fuck, it is like fully in that 12 to 15-foot range. Uh, fuck, it was psycho. Oh, didn't even talk about John's film, Gravity. Whoa. Which is, uh, I mean, look, to be honest, it's it, for mine, it was, you know, more of the same, but more of the same from John is fucking mind melting. Oh. Uh, you know, just the craziest backside full roads uh, at Rocky lefts, like sometimes two on a wave, like two of the craziest mm. rotations on a single wave, like combo deluxe with a special sauce and McFlurry and a full blown chunder in the toilet at the end of it. It was just <laughs> fucking skits. Man, whenever I watch John John and you know, he sits on his clips, uh, he releases, it's like Noah said, it's like you watch it and you go, 
how the fuck is anyone else supposed to do this? Like, how is anyone supposed to surf like this? Because people build their clips to drop, you know, like it, it might be a single session as in the case or a couple of sessions like Glindo's clip, but John John just reminds you with every single thing that he does, how much better he is than everyone. Like, there's guys doing maybe, you know, more tweaked or rotated airs and then, you know, like you've got your Italos and your Gabes. They've all got their strengths, right? And you've got your free surfing guys, but... I don't think there's, like I said last episode, Smithy, I just don't think there's anyone who has the ocean knowledge of John. And the fact that he's able to apply that, just that encyclopedic fucking experience into the waves of any size or shape and look like the best guy you've ever seen fucking stand up on a surfboard. Every time you watch these clips, you just marinate. You just sit there marinate, mate. You just sit there and just let it soak into your pores. And when you're pulled out of the oven, you're just a juicy, ripe stick of fork in me. I'm done. Fuck it. Roast. Yeah, he's the complete surfer. I mean, crazy gaffs. You got you see mm. those front side S turns on like the steepest, most vert face. Seems impossible yeah. to be changing direction after a carve into a bottom turn. He's still going down the way. Mm. Psycho. And... Mate, the clinic at Pipeline and Backdoor. I mean, fuck, obviously he's done it a million times over, but again, he's raised the bar. I mean, yeah. look, this guy, what this guy does, he, he's totally taken the baton from Jamie. And I, I've sat out there and I've watched him do their thing on, on big, ugly days. And they, you know, Pipeline has a lot of perfect waves. There, mm. there are waves that any surfer from the, the pro junior level to pro surfer could roll into and get blown out of. They don't go those waves. They go the fucking death trap ones. And there is a handful of those in this clip that it's like just pure matador kind of shit. Mm. It's full-blown bullfighting, just staring the fucking seething, sweating, <laughs> nostril-fuming beast in the face <laughs> and just going, Zorro, I'll take you on. And just, mate, the knifing, I think the, the closer clip is, uh, oh, mate, it, it, he's staring deaf in the face on mm. the drop. It, it's, it's a knifing. You know, Backdoor sometimes does that thing on the drop where it lurches and doubles in size. Mm. Just, like it comes in as like an eight-foot double up, but then it hits the, hits the ledge and just supersizes itself as the surfer's dropping in. Mm. So it's just like doubled in size as they're knifing it. It's one of those ones, and the mm. thing just fucking cannons all around him. He sees Buddha, Christ, Muhammad, the works on his way out of that thing. And then he gets a bonus charge. I mean, I don't know. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Oh, you've outdone Hemingway in Fiesta for the bullfighting fucking analogy, Smithy. Good shit. Five out of five. Five out of five cone pieces for gravity. Oh, Always. Yeah. The John John just does not let you down. Number four. Number four. Medina wins the sack a rimmer. Chang's comp on return from injury as we head into the grand finale at Halieva, where wet dreams will come true for some and for others, ending nothing more than a baffling shame and a fresh pair of sheets. Mm. It's happened to all of us. Uh, but yeah, Medina back following that knee injury, suffered against the great Evans Head Battler, the great Woodburn Wrecking Ball, the gay great Casino Can't Callum <laughs> Robson. Remember that? We not only beat Medina, but sent him packing mm -hmm. on a gurney board in the back of an Ambo. What a performance it was. But he's back, Medina, the evil Darth Vader of professional surfing. Mm. He fucking smoked it. Basically cantered to victory. Uh, although, 
Bit of controversy in the final. The the Brazo priority judge, judges gave Medina the nod and a 50-50 call that ended up costing Ramsey Bukhine the lead at the back end of the final and ultimately ultimately the win. Mm. Uh, Ramsey's looking to pretty much qualify anyway, but if he doesn't, fuck oh mate. Oh, <laughs> don't go to Morocco, Medina. Fight mate. Don't go to Morocco. Nah, Medina, um, it's far out. It's, it's The girth that bloke has put on in the off-season is absolutely mind-boggling. We've talked about it before, Smith, but he has beefed up. Seriously beefed. Well, he's carrying extra kilos, for mm. sure. He's taken sort of Italo's run in the gym and just ripped in like a fucking maniac. He's definitely on the Laird Hamilton superfoods. He's uh, wouldn't be surprised if he's, you know, on the... Uh, a couple of Paul Gallon peptides, oh, perhaps. No. <laughs> I was just going to say the protein shakes. But, oh, yeah. Same, uh, same. <laughs> just make sure you check but, the packet for uh, everything that's in there. I just, uh, well, man, it's it, it, like we said last time, it's gearing up for a good year. But uh, how do you think that Medina will be received as he travels, you know, a three-time world champ now, sort of entered into his soul phase where uh, he's sort of like, you know, in interviews, just doing that weird thing where he's like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, yeah, happy, happy. Just like, you know, he doesn't really have that sort of just kill or be killed mentality. It's not there, or it hasn't been there for a little while, you know, since since he won that uh, last third world title. We haven't really seen him hit top gear again. So far out, I just can't believe that we're gearing up for a new year, a new season where he's going to come back to it after a big break. And what's he going to be? Who's he going to be? And how will he be received? Mm. Yeah, it's such an interesting chapter in his career. Obviously, he went through all that emotional turmoil with the breakdown of his marriage, the breakdown of his mm. family unit. Fucking awful, the poor bugger. Uh, and then, you know, as Marvin Hagler famously said, you know, it gets hard to, to get up at 4 a.m. and go for road runs when you're sleeping in silk sheets. And, mm. But, you know, he won a world title sleeping in silk sheets next to a, a supermodel, <laughs> albeit a, a cougar supermodel. You know, she was on the way out, let's be real. <laughs> oh, Vaughn's got, the, Vaughn's got the COVID from that clanger. That's how oh, good it was. He's got his back too. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. He's probably thinking the same thing. Yeah, 100%. No, Time for an upgrade. You're a, Smitty. You're a, bro. <laughs> oh, God. But um, no, you're right. And like far out, like how are Italo and Gabe going to respond to Felipe having that title? Totally. Like, I mean, it, it, it's set up for another Felipe year, if, you're, if we're going to be honest. Like the pool's sitting there. Felipe loves that. Uh, we got Trestles at the end of the year again. Felipe loves that. So... It's the three big Brazilians plus John John plus, you know, a handful of Aussies that you can chuck in there as well. It's oh, fizzing, mate. I just, yeah, like I said last time, I just don't want to bring up the uh, schedule because the schedule is just horseshit. Let's just hope that we get waves of truth somewhere along the line because we all know that Medina, he does respond in waves of truth. That's right. That's right. Hopefully he can find a happy place with a, a tight unit of people. And, you know, yeah, I, I do. You know, quite worry about the guy's mental stability at this point in time. I just can't imagine what it's like to lose your family, mm. like in a fucking acrimonious divorce. That is such a bizarre thing. And if I could take one more parting shot at the cougar, mm. I mean, fucking hell, she was a cake face when I met her. I couldn't believe how much spread she had on her dome, mate. I, he was probably just he was probably just sick of washing the fucking the the brown. Zinc off his pillowcases and sheets every morning. You got a gut. 
Fair enough. Uh, I mean, he might be made of millions, but I mean, a dry cleaning bill as long as a fucking, mm. uh, you know, his dry cleaning bill alone could have paid for the, the electricity bills in, of an entire favela vaughn. Mm. It's outrageous. Mm. Yes, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Number three, Vaughn. Eye on the Challenger series as it hits its grand finale at Halieva mm. in a few days. The situation heading into the event is thus Leo Firavanti, the Hamad Roman, is in first and fully locked for the world tour in 2023. Sands, mm. a major sponsor at this point, looking to. Stick something on the beak of his board as he heads into uh, the CT season. He's got Rio Waiter in second there on the Changas, uh, Indonesia's first ever world tour mm. surfer. How Fantastic. fucking monumental is that? Fantastic. Couple of uh, couple of potential firsts. We're, we're looking here at uh, Ramsey Bukheim to become Morocco's first world tour surfer as well. Sick. He's close to locked in. Uh, he's on over seventeen thousand points, and the uh, theoretical cut line is at seventeen. 1,415. Uh, so it's the, the confirmed Leo, Rio, and Ryan Callanan, the mm. Merryweather magician. He's back for He's another back. crack. Ah, cow, the greatest human in the world. Back where he belongs on the CT and eyeballing that Olympic surf team, the Irikanjis. And actually, Smivy, I got you an Irikanji T-shirt. Oh, amazing. Courtesy of the uh, Surfing Australia HPC. Went up there, did a little bit of training with Cal Robson. I, did you see the video? I put it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was oh, just... Yeah. Mate, I was You're putting one right up time. I was like, yeah, uh, getting a double on the exercise bike and just, you know, not taking any... Foot off the brake. I was like, you know what it takes to win, Cal? Do you know what it takes, mate? Are you going to get up? Are you going to put in the hard yards? Come on. Show me you want that gold, Robbo. Show me you want that gold. And to his credit, mate, he put it down. He, he did a good 15 minutes at full pelt on the exercise bike. Two bricks strapped to his feet. And uh, you expect nothing less from the Wardell Warrior. Yes. The witnesses say that he built and built his momentum to the point he just became a red fireball like mm. that guy from the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Well, the knee is... Melted uh, the in... fucking exercise bike. Yeah. The, the, the knee, Rico, is looking good. It's looking real good. Was it a knee or an I ankle? it was a shoulder. Remember, a shoulder. Or whatever, whatever it was. It's looking good, Smivy. And I, uh, I don't know. Like, I think we could do worse than have Arkel, Jack Robbo, Cal, Rob, uh, Cal Robson... Uh, Connor O'Leary, bro. O'Leary, bro. Saw him this morning. He's looking fit. The mullet is picture perfect. Mm. Not a hair out of place as he was doing backside wahas galore. Yeah. No, we've got a good team uh, or or good representatives fighting it out for that Irikanji singlet. Oh, and how good is this singlet? I cannot wait to don this and rep it at Ballina Big W. It's a fucking stonker (laughs) of a T.O. Mad, mad. And, uh... Just a couple other interesting names here in the list for the men's. We've got Ian Gentile, who's very close to qualifying. Locking and I actually, uh, actually spent a bit of time with Ian on a boat trip there alongside Jack Robbo, Connor mm. Coffin, and Kyo Ibelli. Wow. And, uh, so he's from that generation of uh, he is. And of he, Groms. It was interesting, too, because on that boat trip, he comes from a lot of money, Ian. He's, uh, his family, I think they're Brazilians from some kind of like uh, fucking water park dynasty. Mm. And uh, they obviously grew up in Maui, I believe. And, you know, at that age of his career, he already had, he was sponsored by Nike. He had a uh, personal filmer. 
uh, carrying around a red camera worth fuck, it's somewhere between fifty and a hundred grand. Wow! And the kid at that point had just been spoiled rotten. Like it, he'd been, he'd had the grit spoiled out of him. Mm. We're on a boat trip to the Tellos and the Ments, and he was off it. And he was fourteen, and I'm like, fuck. And my my actual, uh, you know, the stories that come off the back of that was, you know, basically stories about the 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 young men or kids on the tour uh, on the trip, and mm. then what their, you know, what, what I thought their future would be and you know my prediction was that this dude has just had it too good and mm. i can't actually see him going the distance with that kind of attitude and as it happened went absolutely missing for yeah a decade at least just gone in the surfing wilderness popping up here and there but yeah i just thought he was fucking i don't know had his feet up on some kind of plush sofa in the uh, hq of the waterbomb park dynasty but no he's back for another crack and uh, he's a big, lanky unit, uh, stringy, kind of, yeah, fairly powerful surfer with a bunch of punts up his sleeve and uh, obviously pretty well at home in the mm. Hawaiian juice. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It, it looks like he's locked in. Cautionary tale there, Smitty, for, for all the mums and dads out there who are looking at the pro surfing dream for their, their offspring. Like, you get them going early. And you are at risk of burnout. Like, uh, and it doesn't always have to be about spoiling them. It could just be about like riding them into the ground, you know. And and fourteen, like, yeah, with that sort of uh, with that sort of what is it? Lack of need, you know. If you're getting around and you've got your your personal filmers and you you're doing whatever you want, and you're getting to the Indo and you just off it. That that might not have had anything to do with like anything other than him just going fuck. What am I like? Something doesn't feel right in me because. I don't even know if I want to surf at totally. the moment. It's it's not. I mean, yeah, it's spoiling, but it's also like completely spoiling. Not just with our uh, stuff and opportunity. It's spoiling with just fucking like the fruits going rotten on the vine because you just you just whitewashing their brain with nothing else, and it starts to just set the rot in. Mm, absolutely. I don't know. Like we look at the the guys who are making a big name for themselves on the CT now. Like even Jack Robbo had that period of just disappearing. You know, where he had to kind of reevaluate what surfing meant to him personally and, w- and what he wanted to get out of it. Um, Conor O'Leary, Cal Robson, Morgan Sibley. None of these guys were well-known 13-year-olds. Uh, totally. they, they were all came through late. And they all came through because they wanted it more in that sort of crucial developmental stage of their, their lives where they'd seen every other kid bash them from pillar to post when they were 13, 14 years old with talent. But by the time that talent gets to a certain age, how many ways have they surfed? How many heats have they had to get through? How many uh, like results have they had broken down by their coach, by their parents, by fucking everyone, by, to the point where they're just like fizzed out? Mm. Yeah, even John, you know, obviously we saw him as a seven-year-old in Endless Summer too. But, you know, I don't remember a whole lot about him until he burst onto the scene uh, in his kind of later teens, kind of. Was he like a, a child prodigy? Like he was. In, like, in terms but, of like uh, media saturation and trips. I felt like the problem with Ian was that he'd done so many trips. Like mm. he was actually burned out from travel as, mm. as being this little kid. And I'm like, it's kind of fair enough. But at the same time, like, you know, when you contrast him to Kai Belly, who was on that trip, who flew from fucking Sao Paulo unaccompanied mm. as a 15-year-old, did not speak a lick of English. Oh, we know, he, he got to Jakarta Airport. We, we lost him as we are getting on the plane. We could not find him. Jimmy Kane was frantically running around the airport looking for him, found him like asleep under a chair. You know, like the level of grit. And then, you know, as soon as we get out there, it's mm. fucking like 
10 foot bank faults and uh, you know Kyo's fucking airdropping into oblivion gets a cover on the, the first day when you know Ian didn't even paddle mm. out from memory uh, you know Jack paddled out Connor had already burst his eardrum but it was like just such a, a classical contrast of you know this battler fucking kid who was surfing for his family's future mm. his own future versus a kid who you know, there was no real incentive there mm. for him to do well. He'd already experienced the fruits of surfing. Yeah. Um, you know, John, I guess, like single mother, uh, childhood prodigy, raised by fucking, you know, whoever was on the beach at the time at, at the North Shore whenever he was out there. Uh, but but yeah. not just a comp monster either, John John. You know, Alex was doing trips all over the world and just serving the boys up cones like that that's like if you want a kid to just be happy like you'll never be happier than when you're getting fucking pitted you know what i mean and and they were traveling around and having a really good time as a family unit they were rock solid man they were a full troop and you'd see them turn up in you know mexico one week and portugal the next week and fucking you know hawaii or california the week after that and they were getting around a bit but they were having a hell time for sure. And who was paying for this? When did John become a household name? Like, when was the, when was the, what's the trajectory of his career? Because what I'm interested in, I guess, is, you know, I feel like the, the key years, the most defining years of a surfer's career are actually not as early as the industry thinks it is a mm. lot of the time. It's actually from that 18 to 24 bracket. And, and, and there's so much improvement that gets done in a surfer's ability at that age, 18 to 24. And that's when, you know, you're making your mark on the tour. And if you don't, you they asshole you. Yeah. I mean, well, uh, don't you think the cycle is like for, for your John Johns, your Medinas, your Philippe's, all those guys who have just been in the system since tiny little groms, the big paranoia for uh, any major company is missing out on that talent young. Like if you miss miss that and you get in a bidding war later on like you're fucking you're shelling out for a lot you know for a lot you haven't sort of built your relationship and i guess you kind of just you're willing to sort of yeah gamble on these kids becoming superstars mm. and sometimes it works and if it does work like good on you but to get to that top top level um you kind of got to be a freak you know, you've got to be against the grain of what the normal human brain is like capable of dealing with and that's why, like, a lot of the time you see 13, 14-year-olds burn out before they hit their full potential. Or you see worse, where you see the kids who are superstars and have that sort of, like, life of absolute gifted fucking dream existence that we all dream of when we're 13, 14 years old. And they go the other way, where they just burn out. Like, they proper burn. It's not just a fizz out. It's like a full-blown decline from child star into the pitfalls of of having nothing all of a sudden and thinking you're still fucking hot shit. Mm, mm. We all know how that ends. Oh, it does. Ends with a needle in your arm in a back street of Darlinghurst, Vaughan. But, mm. uh, I mean, it, it seems to be the formula, you know, lock up, like, from the industry's perspective, lock them up when they're young to avoid the, the bidding war later on, but then keep them on ice. Keep them, like, you know, don't overwork them like a show pony before they've... Uh, you know, just before they're really going to hit their straps, which is in that kind of the making of a pro surfer, mm. 18 to, to 24 age bracket. Um, it seems to be a lot better, right? Like we're seeing a lot more. Oh, way like, better. You know, like even things like the High Performance Centre up up the coast, like they're, they're training kids, not just, you know, physically and, I don't know, in media and like all, all those sorts of like structures, but they're actually like right into the well-being. They're into the, the diets and, and the education outside of like, interests outside of surfing. 
they understand that to have a meaningful and happy life, you've got to be about more than just fucking winning heats. Mm. You got to be. The level of professionalism in the current crop is mind melting. You know, your Kanoas and, and Griffins, the the emotional maturity of, of kids, you know, kids in their early twenties. Mm. It's stupefying, uh, and just the lengths to which they're going to to generate that little extra edge on their competitors, remarkable. Mm. Um, but oh, yeah, that was a skits tangent. Uh, <laughs> thanks to Ian. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the rest of the the list looks like this. Um, barring any major shakeups in Hawaii, Liam O'Brien and and Maxime Husano, the Reunion Island server, another guy who won a World Junior title yeah. and then went fucking missing for for like a decade mm. plus. Mm. That's remarkable. Um. I believe he beat Jadson Andre in the final, actually, and Jadson had a full-on swipe at him at the Narrabeen show saying, because he thought he was fully ripped off in that final. Mm. And he's like, yeah, but look who's on the CT, cunt. <laughs> look who's done a decade on there. Um, and then just inside the cut line at eighth, we've got Jiao Chianka, uh, an XCT, uh, Zeke Liao, another XCT, and Dylan Moffat, North Narrabeen's finest fucking whippy, whippity, Hunt whiz of a searing rail game. He's holding on at 10th there, mm. going into Haliever. We got Morg Borg, Siblick at 11th, Michael Rodriguez at 12th, Eaton Osborne, the fucking skit aerial freak show at 13. And then our man, Chippo Wilcox at 15th. Fuck, mate. You know, Haliever, not a friendly place for goofs, but if anyone can do it, it's Chippo. Yeah. And, mate, he deserves a place oh. no one else on the CT. The, the waves suit him to a T. It's mad, man. Looking at this list, you're just seeing so much experience. There's really not too many young, uh, like, bolters getting in here. I'd say Dylan Moffat is probably the guy who you'd look at and go, all right, well, that's uh, that's a pretty sick result. But... Everyone else there, Smivy, has either been there or close to it. Rio Wider is, is the exception as well. So Rio and Dylan are my big, uh, you know, sort of surprise packages from this year. Not that they uh, don't deserve to be up there, but, geez, you want to see Chippo get up there. He just deserves it so bad and, oh, hectic. But, yeah, a lot of experience in that top 10 qualification at the moment. Lots of requalifying and lots of guys who have been either on the – the Chang or the QS for a long time. Houston O, Ramsey Bookheim, uh, and Ian Gentile. And in the women, five Aussies in the top 10, but only two assured of a spot at this point. Macy Callahan and the pickle, Molly Picklem. Uh, the rest of the Aussies, plenty of work to do. Sophie McCulloch and Nikki Van Dyke pretty much need to make the final in Haliever for a chance. Uh, Bronnie McCauley probably needs a semis or better finish. Uh, Betty Lusakura looking like she's back on, not official yet. And uh, yeah, Katie Simmers obviously about to make her long-awaited debut in the big leagues. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, it's heavy, man, for the women because uh, you really want to see Bronte, Nikki, Sophie at least getting in there. And, oh, mate, it's just they're fighting for fifth spot because Betty Lou at Halle Eva, you'd expect her to almost win the comp. You know, she's going to be the favourite out there for sure. Ross Williams in her corner, just that lacerating frontside gouge. She'll paddle out with just nothing but the trophy in the back of her head, Smithy. So one spot, one spot there for uh, three Aussie women to try and squeeze into. And all they've got to do is knock a Portuguese lady out of the way. Teresa Bonvalot, I hope you get the lot, eh? Hey. <laughs> oh, sorry. Number two.
two. Some big movers and shakers in the sponsorship realm, Vaughn. Griff drops the bong. Leo signs on with Gucci. Gabe signs on with a laser hair removal company. And Callum Robson reaffirms his commitment to heavy diesel machinery up there in Coolum. That's right. The Evans head, rail evangelist, the wood burn wrecking ball. He's done the hivies and signed on for another go around the sun with some obscure bogan heavy machinery company because Strayer cunt. That's why. Strayer, Strayer, Strayer. That's how we do it. Don't wait for cunts to start paying attention. Top 10 on debut. Rookie of the year. Oh, what? Oh, that is just music to my ears. Who else? Who else can we get to sponsor some of these uh, battlers down the back end of the queue or the unrecognised geniuses fighting it down the CT? Surely we can get Speedo or... Uh, Marlboro or... or <laughs> I mean, Paul Gallon's Peptides Deluxe business. That Surely they'd throw a few uh, supplements Robbo's way. I mean, not that he needs them. Oh, mate. Give us some Australian companies that have got to get in behind some of these Australian oh, Four and 20 pies. Victoria Bitter. 4X, come on. EU Bitter. It just, it sells itself, really. Yeah, go. Who wouldn't want to be on the beak of Robbo's board? He's the man. He's the people's champ, Fawn. Yeah. The working class hero. The battler, Kingpin. And you know what, Smitty? There's a real opportunity here for uh, someone to bring back those working class battler beer ad anthems from the 70s. You can imagine one about Cal Robbo. You can imagine how to go. Like for this uh, this heavy machinery company, you can see the sort of the images of the big trucks driving through the mining site, unloading fucking coal, getting poured up with all the dirt and gristle and just Robbo there with his hard hat on, wiping the sweat off his brows. You See? kick into the fucking the lyrics. Black face full of coal fumes and dust, just sweating bullets, just carrying giant boulders two at a time on, the, <laughs> on his biceps. Yeah, you the Australian Changers battlers are custom built for this sort of marketing, Smithy. What's true grit? If you're wrapped in cotton wool from the age of six, have you got true grit? If you're loaded with coin, given stickers and shit, have you got true grit? True, true grit. grit. It's dirt in your crack, sweat on your sack when you're breaking your back. It's diesel and dust and doing what you must to get fair up at. Well, true grit is the shit that you get when you're not scared to put in the yard for it. Well, come on, cow robo, you're made of the truest grit. You crease little Gabby Medina with a classic woodburn hit. You're backed by King is Diesel, you got concrete in your guts. You're a true blue Aussie battler with true grit in your nuts. Mm. When is when are these companies going to wake up and get in behind? Get in behind. And a, a great interview actually uh, by Karina Stevens with Griffin on Stab Magazine about the switch. Uh, he told Stab, I wanted to make the switch because the direction Quicksilver is going is really exciting. They're doing a full reset of the brand and it seems like they want to get back to the core and what made surfing cool in the early 90s and 2000s, which was, uh, from memory, buckets of cocaine and mental wine surf exploration. <laughs> That'll be great. Uh, Griffin says, I got psyched to be a part of that revolution. Um, <laughs> and you see, there's almost a parting shot here at the Bong Vaughan. I was mm. a little bit surprised. Uh, he said, uh, at Billabong, it felt like they had us all in the same outfit all the time. Hmm. They were letting us, they weren't letting us show our personalities as much. Whereas Quicksilver seems like they're really diving into that. 
There are so many different guys on the team that do things differently from the way they surf to the stickers they use and the clothes they wear. It's sick to be part of a company that lets us be ourselves. Oh, mm. wow. Jeez, that's, uh, that's a bit rough. Oh, just uh, sharpen up the shiv and straighten the ribs as you're walking out the front door, Smith. Pretty persuasive, mm. you ask me. And, uh, here we go. Uh, how about this, Vaughn? For, for a stunning bit of a emotional maturity from a 24-year-old, mm. I mean, just really remarkable when I consider what I was doing when I was that age, namely living in Bali, uh, dating a Romanian supermodel and then searching for wisdom in cow shit. But mm. uh, this is what Griffin had to say. I, I had a mentor named... Ben Crow, uh, he's a star mindset coach, would you believe, Vaughn? Um, mm. He was like a mental coach to me. He pushed me to try and figure out my purpose in life and what I'm doing here, saying that all the best athletes and all the biggest brands have that. So I was searching for that when I was 19 and 20 when I first got on tour. One day I just got this feeling that one of my traits is to be vulnerable with people and just be super open and not try to hide anything. And I realized that if I do that, Hopefully that can benefit other people. From all the books I've read on spirituality, I've learned that we're all one. If we're all making each other better, we make ourselves better too. <sighs> can someone bang a gong? Wow. Yeah, we should have had him at Swellness. 100%. He was a walk-up start for Swellness. Mm. And uh, it's interesting, at that same age, you know, it turns out searching for wisdom in cow shit was actually quietly ingenious mm. and i had the exact same epiphany and it, it was also borrowed from the great ken kesey uh the, the head honcho of the merry pranksters mm. the author of one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh an early acid freak actually kind of popularized lsd to the mainstream but kesey had the exact same epiphany i think everyone has the epiphany who either goes down the meditation or uh, microdosing or macrodosing route and mm. that is just yeah you know speak your truth and be ready to hear other people tell theirs. But just be open. Just speak your truth. There's no harm in speaking your truth. The chances are that someone... Well, you almost know for sure that someone else has experienced what you're talking about. Because mm. uh, the human experience is, is fairly universal. Um, you know, we all go through different uh, troughs and, and dips and peaks at different times. But uh, the fact remains that uh, it's all... You know, we are one. As you said, we're all trying to be one and we are better when we make the people around us better. And mm. uh, yeah, well said, well played. Bang a massive Tibetan gong. Number one. Stab high is a rap born and what a series it was. I Fantastic. I can watch every second of it and thoroughly enjoyed it. Well produced, highly entertaining and won by Rasta Rob McCormick from Floridia. Mad Floridian wave hustler. Uh, and by winning the event, picks up a spot in the van's Pipe Masters Invitational, Woo! which is pretty oh, sick. Oh, oh. Don't know how many bombs oh, he's had a pipe in his life. Our belayer uh, must just be turning into a fucking sultana. He'd be that withered and sour and just dried up. Watching Rasta Rob get an invite to the Pipe Masters. But uh, well earned in the end. Didn't see any cones out there, but jeez, uh, he can throw that tail. Guess mm. he gets some lofty punts in, but... I don't know, mate. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I, I love this series. It was so good. And, um, you know, I guess it's it's funny. Like, the amount of just top quality aerials going down in this thing was so crazy. From Noah to Chuan, Bronson Media out there as well, just fucking flaring. But once again, man, for me, it was the fucking ladybirds. Like, it, it, it took them a little while to kick into gear. 
But once you start seeing, you know, the glass ceiling being smashed yet again, full rote, into the flats by Sierra Kerr, you're just like, bang, 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 bang a drama. <laughs> Fuck, it's good to watch. I think that caught everyone off guard, that final. It was the highlight of the whole series. Mm. Sierra Kerr's full rote was fucking so psycho. Juicy section, uh, you know, just big, luxuriant rotation, mm. buttery landing. Basically the best air ever done by a female uh, and done by what? How old is she? Like 15 or something? Mm. So skits. Uh, and just, I can't remember seeing a, a surfer catch fire like that in a long time. She just could not fall off in mm. the final. Stuck a bag full of air reverses and uh, fuck from memory, maybe a couple, uh, one or two straighties too. But yeah, a, a crazy performance. Absolutely lapped the field. Big shout out to Dakota Walters. I thought that that was his coming of age performance in Stab mm. High. Just a couple of the poppiest, loftiest full rote alley-oops. Uh, yeah. And then a couple of really magic combos that weren't necessarily punts, but, um, you know, some, just some trippy kind of club singers and uh, a couple of just combo punt maneuvers on a single wave that were, yeah, just fucked up. Didn't really necessarily get his score. Uh, higher because it was all scored on a single maneuver. But mm. fuck, he was putting waves together and surfing so good. So good to see a string bean, you know, that rangy body type mm. uh, just coiling up and getting that pop. It, it almost looks double stylish just because it's so hard to bend all that that organic matter into a nice shape. But when it's done, it's just remarkable. Yeah. I always love the tall guys, your Cattos, your, your Flynn Novaks. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Some steezy tall men. Yeah, I game. guess um, one of the big takeaways for me was it, it was a lot like watching, uh, you know, an event in a skate bowl, like a, a skate park. It was, it was, you could really see the different styles of airs, like the, the different techniques that people use to, get that pop or get that loft. You know, some people are sort of just throwing Hail Marys into that wind and using it, using that wind to sort of like get their rotation done or, or get their sort of height happening. But to me, there was, there was very clear standouts in terms of technique. And that, that was, uh, you know, Miola and Chipper, even though they got knocked out early, just, just the way that they hit lips and rotate their bodies and, and where they sort of grab their boards, everything looks completely intentional and, in the moment and sort of, I don't know how to uh, really describe it, mate. It's like, it's just a sort of an almost like a higher body intelligence, if you know what I mean. It's not just throwing it and hoping for a landing or being good enough to sort of get back over your board and right out of it. It's it's a full technique of um, intent. And for me, like, no one did it better than Noah Dean. Like, that, there was an air in that surf off with Rasta Rob, I think it was before the Hooter, and he mm. just... Like, it is so tweaked. And to me, that's the future. Like, it's, it's you know, height will always win the day with aerials, but being able to do that stuff with style and know exactly what you're doing and the, and the landing is an afterthought because you've already hit in that next section. Dakota's another one, you know, like surfing out of airs or with eyes on that next, that next clobber. And uh, I just thought that was cool, so... Yeah, really cool to see where it's all going. Different styles, different techniques. But there was a handful of guys who, who did stand out, regardless of results. Under or over. The 
WSL, or Wazzle, as it's known here on Ain't That's Well, says no thanks to Netflix. Uh, apparently, Netflix was having a sniff around buying the Wazzle horn, would you believe? That's <laughs> uh, according to Stab Magazine, uh, who also begs the question, are they in a position to be picky the Wazzle? Mm. Playing hard to get, perhaps. What is what was Netflix's vision for the was? Is my question. Is this maybe this had something to do with the uh, denial? Were they hoping to sort of meld it into a, like a Love Island scenario where the whole tour is run, say eight events at Tavarua, all the women on one island, all the men on another. You just slowly introduce them to uh, alcohol and different scenarios, ah. and next thing it plays out is this fucking great big dating show mm. with a world champ at the end of it. I love that. What do you think? Yeah, we could even go down the wild country route and uh, get some kind of uh, Osho, some kind of Bagwan mystic to convert the entire Pro Tour to a single Oh, that'd be good. And, get them all uh, addicted to dr- like a mind control sort of yeah, drug of, scenario. Yeah, the, the, the Manson family. Ch- mm. chuck, chuck in a bit of Charlie Manson in the mix there. So start spiking the, uh, the, the skull drags with clean water and a... Uh, some LSD, perhaps. I don't know. I'm sure there's a fucking buttload of acid already in those skull drags, mm. isn't there, Vaughn? Oh, I mean, you've had a couple. I've, I've had one, and uh, yeah. I've, You're still tripping. Oh, mate, it was hectic. Uh, from memory, uh, had it in my head that I was going to go from Tavarua, no, so from Namotu back to Tavarua at like, you know, 9.30 at night when no boats run after dark because you can't see the reef passes. And yeah, woke up about nine hours later covered in spew with sand on my eyeballs. <laughs> That wasn't the greatest. Sounds like every but bad maybe, trip uh, I've ever had. Maybe. Maybe what Netflix is doing here, Smivy, is that they've run out of coin for, you know, having all these different productions with extras. So they were going to just rope the tour into being, and, and some of the better surfers into being extras in the background of some of their more famous Netflix shows, like The Crown, for example. You can see The Queen, Prince Charles, Lady Di sitting down for dinner. Who walks in to serve them their tea and bickies? Philippe. Gabriel Medina. Oh, Medina. Well, interesting. I was thinking uh, Philippe Toledo perhaps more fit the bill of a, a, a butler. <laughs> butler Phil. Um, you could have, what, what, Drive to Survive? They're, they're all friends with Louis Hamilton, aren't they? They saw uh, Gabriel Medina hanging out with Lewis Hamilton when he was made a, an honorary Brazilian recently during the uh, Brazilian Formula One GP. Yeah, he's been hanging out at the Wave Ranch, at the Goat Ranch, the Goat Pool even. Mm. Whacking it, packing it. So I don't know. Oh, maybe that maybe that was behind the uh, the Wazzle decision to to let that one pass. Just uh, too much. The Netflix just wanting too much from from our great ocean going warriors. Mm. Well, I mean, it's interesting. The the league, the Wazzle, is rumored to lose anywhere between ten to fifty million dollars a year. Mm. Uh, and uh, I mean, so Stab's calling it a practically an expensive gift from Dirk Ziff and his wife Natasha, who is an avid surf fan. Born. Mm. So it seems uh it seems that old Ziffy's just given his wife the keys to the uh the gold vault and said, you know, go splash out on your hot surfer bods mm. and uh bankroll a failing uh, competitive format. Mm. Perhaps a bit harsh, cynical even smithy, mm. but uh look the proof's in the pudding. It says it here on Stab Magazine Vaughn rumoured to lose between ten to fifty million dollars a year and wasn't Elo saying lies. that last year was the most profitable year in WSL history somewhere or, or another? Yeah, well, he was saying that the markers, the metrics, the KPIs were off mm. the Richter. But I uh, don't know if that converted to dollars. And as we know, Vaughn, all too well, often ratings <laughs> do not convert to moolah. <laughs> um, but no. Yeah, so interesting one. 
would have loved to have seen a Netflix WSL collaboration. Perhaps that can still be in the works. Well, we know that uh, season two of Make or Break is going to come out. So maybe the boys or and, and girls, the, the men and women of Netflix, sort of watched that show and were captivated by it. Mm. Don't know. Oh, is I'm it just it. little morgues? Was it Morgie's dream run that captured the hearts of a of the nation of the of the non surfing corpos in their fucking ivory towers? I think so. I think you could well see the, the story that Netflix. translates universally translates into the the heartstrings, pulling the heartstrings of any any man or woman worth their salt. By Jingo, this little Merryweather Nuggets got it by the short and curlies. Come on, Morgs. Look at him. Look at him. The little leprechaun from Newey. Getting it done. Bashing lips. Come hither, my Eastern European uh, mail-order bride, and watch this young <laughs> Merriweather power surfer take it to the world's best. Oh, they're in for a rude shock when season two premieres and poor little Morgie misses the cut. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, I'm going to have to give that an overk. Go on, you wazzle. Go on, rip in. Go on your own feet. Go on, Natasha. Ziff and Dirk Ziff. Keep uh, sinking money into the hole that is professional surfing. <laughs> Keep pouring it in. Keep getting the buckets, throwing you yeah. your gold bullions down a giant well of uh, poor ratings. I mean, I'm reminded here of David Gingell, the Channel 9 CEO, mm. who said surfing will never make a good television product uh, purely because there's just not enough fucking going on, not mm. enough action. Mm. And uh, maybe those words many years ago, I think he said that in the fucking early 90s, mm. maybe uh, they've... Proved prescient Vaughan, maybe Ginge, the great ITN club president from Bondi Beach, Australia, was bang on the money. He knows TV, mate. And I trust anyone who's punched James Packer out. I'll fucking back that comes to the hilt, mate. <laughs> yeah, um, who would you like to see sponsor the World Tour? What, what, what's a, a, an appropriate sponsor for this uh, organisation that just seems to be... Uh, you know, backing the truck up to the giant portaloo and just putting the foot on that weird little pedal and just go, <laughs> just flushing it into the abyss. Yeah, well, it's a question of you portaloos. Know, what about that? Portaloos would be great. Uh, it's, a, it's a you know lo- lovely metaphor. Really fits with the direction that competitive surfing is going. If you believe Stab Magazine, which mm. is straight down the loo. <laughs> But, uh, I mean, it's a question of which rich person do you want to see cough up their fortune into the pockets of hard-working battlers a la O'Leary's bar mm. uh, and uh, the rest of them. I mean, fire, I'd love to see Jeff Bezos cough up. Hey, the dog making about a million dollars a second. He could definitely spare a bit of coin. For but the- would you be happy with Amazon? I feel like if, uh, you, know, you know, you know what the, uh, you know, the fucking audience is like out there. You know what the fans of pro surfing are like. Maybe... They're going to blow up about everyone. So who, who would fit for you? Who's a good fit ethically, morally for the tour? Who, who do you reckon could just sink their flag into the top of WSL Mountain and say, we're here for you? And everyone would go, you know what? I like that. Oh, well, unquestionably, uh, I'd have to go with someone like Purdue Farmer um, <laughs> or perhaps, perhaps Pfizer, maybe even a, a, a Bill Gates <laughs> or George Soros as the... World surfing overlord. I think these are all natural fits for the mm. state that professional surfing finds itself in. And I mean, what kind of core lord, cone fiend degenerate is going to argue with uh, the, the, the Purdue farmer, the OxyContin uh, pro mm. down there at Huntington Beach or uh, I don't know where the OxyContin pro should take place. But geez, it'd be a, a winning event. I mean, it might be a bit sleepy at times, but mm. fuck, I mean, well, there's plenty of lulls anyway. Mm. Uh, you know, just pro surfing and wash with... 
uh, yeah. ads for opium pills. Well, I think on the back of this uh, ADHD, ADHD, it seems like your uh, diagnosis yeah, is it's a, it's coming morning. through. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think on the back of that, the... Uh, Ritalin, Dexamphetamine. Yeah. Oh, surely we've got a Ritalin Pro on the cards. Surely. Jeez, oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Uh, you think MP was on the Ritalin back in the day? That was uh, the secret between the behind the, the zigs between the zags? The zigs between the zags, yeah, the Ritalin Pro. The Ritalin Pro, except back in those 76 days, Bells Beach, he was so ahead Coast. of the curve. It wasn't even Ritalin at that point. It was just these crushed up powder that you bought from a truck stop. Mm. And jeez, uh, jeez, he used it to great effect. The great MP, ha, mate. Love they him. couldn't stop him in a competitive jersey. They couldn't stop him in a police car chase. He was that good. The great quotes from MP, I'll never be a has-been, he said in 1976 on the cover tracks. How can someone like me be a has-been? Impossible. Uh, I'm going to go with over for the rejection of Netflix as well. Damien Castira, a 38-year-old ex-pro from Anglet in France, has joined the long list of call lords to pick up a camera and head into a war zone. Uh, It seems incongruous, doesn't it, Vaughan, that being a surfer or a surf photog uh, would lead to becoming a war correspondent. But there is precedent. Andy Campbell, of course, the great Shipstern's pioneer, he went to Syria to document the civil war there. Uh, Zach Bailey, another core booger, I believe, went to Syria, among other places. And uh, Andy Quilty has done a bunch of stints in Afghanistan mm. after starting out as a surf photog. Uh, Kastir is headed into the Ukraine-Russia conflict. And uh, he also made the mental surf doco about child soldiers surfing in war-torn mm. Liberia called Water Get No Enemy. But uh, a strange and, and seemingly incongruous pairing, isn't it? The wax head with the nuclear warhead, as mm. it were, Vaughan. Mm. Yeah, I guess um, when you've stood in the guts of, you know, a wave like Shipsterns by yourself for near on three decades, maybe the adrenal glands just run dry. They just go puffy. They just they, they dry up and there's just nothing there. And uh, you've got to try and reconnect with society uh, and some sort of meaningful buzz. Uh, somewhere else, maybe, and we're better than a war-torn, you know, third-world nation that's been ripped apart and ravaged by fucking first-world interests. Absolutely. I mean, when your pineal gland begins to resemble a dried, used, tiny franger in your brain, just mm. a, a crusty little pasty dummy with a tiny bit of white crust in the end of it, that's when you've got to head to the war zone and start ducking missiles because you've just run it dry, you've packed too many cones, you've seen too much vis. You need a new buzz. Mm. You need a new buzz. You need to feel something. Oh, geez, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, do, do you come home from these scenarios, you know, with hope for mankind, or do you just come home just fucking spewing? Like, we'll have to, we're going to have to get one of these guys on the phone and actually get to the bottom of it, I think, Smithy. Mm. You got it in there, don't you? Lords with uh, Andy or, and, well, a couple of Andys there. And I don't know. I'd love to find out sort of, you know, what the – what the appeal is or, or, or what they're, they're actually focused on when they're over in these areas. Because if, if you're a photojournalist, then you're basically trying to capture a story to share with other people, right? Like you're not just there as a voyeur for your own means. Surely you're trying to actually share the fucking horror of what's going on in the world with people back home. It's such a wild concept, the idea of a war journalist. And I mean, I guess it was, you know, this 
genre of journalism they're working in. It was made famous by the great Larry Burroughs on the, the cover of Life magazine back in the 70s, uh, well, late 60s, 70s. Uh, Larry Burroughs, obviously the iconic war journalist who uh, was the first to embed in uh, the Vietnam War with moving battalions of troops. And that was back when, you know, they weren't, they just weren't onto the power of the press. You know, mm. The Vietnam War was the first to be screened on mainstream news channels and stuff like that. So you had total access at that point. There was nothing that Burroughs didn't see mm. and snap photos of, and it changed the whole course of that war. And I guess that's what people are hoping to do in, in some way. It, it's just show that side of war, the, the, the sheer disgustingness the the disgrace of it all the needless wanted destruction of human lives and hopefully shift public opinion in in such a way that mm. it, it never happens again i can only imagine that's the desire and that what an honorable desire mm. uh, you know you're risking your life to but then, save thousands more yeah and uh, you know basically be a voice for the voiceless and, and all that so and then but you get back to the the question you know like what is your opinion of human beings after seeing that? Do you come away from it with hope? Uh, you know, you, you would see acts of insane bravery. Uh, you'd see acts of selflessness that, you know, where people are just putting their own lives ahead of anything else that's going on around them to save a mate or, or to, you know, protect a village or whatever it is. But at the end of it, your view of, of the, the structures of society and what leads to these scenarios must just drive you insane like how could you sleep at night totally i mean it, you'd see the extremes of human spirit and <clears throat> you would just realize the also the hopelessness of just being a civilian in mm. a world that's run by resource mad fucktards mm. who are just hell-bent on fulfilling their desires of the their ego and the egos of those surrounding who are all just fucking coked up fucking Eastern European mail order bride fucking reptiles. Mm. That's all. That's, that's who runs the planet. Just mm. a bunch of fucking coked up old sex pests. Mm. So it's uh, completely unsurprising to see us being sent to our doom, uh, fighting these pointless wars while all of our wives are left widowed at home, available to be, uh, in theory, plucked by these. I mean, that's why war, literally why wars are fought mm. over women and land. Mm. Uh, land. Concealing resources. Yeah. But yeah, it's always been like that. And uh, we got to get on the phone to one of these guys, man. I'd love to get their uh, get insights into sort of, you know, going from the beach, you know, their local beaches or their, their you know, experience of growing up in fucking heaven to literally the scraping the bottom of the barrel of fucking hell on earth. Mm. I've been trying to get on to Andy for a while. He's uh, He's been hard pinned down. But yeah, I remember him saying to me, Ages ago, I interviewed him in the past, wrote an article about it. And, you know, his theory on why he felt the need to go to Syria was he had an element of conflict inside of him mm. that kind of needed to play out externally, which kind of makes sense. That's what I was going to say. That the, the drive initially, your first drive, even if you are telling yourself that it's to share this and you know get these messages out there and those images it's it's got to come from somewhere deeper like it, it you're just not going to have that idea and feel truthfully like engaged with it until you're there so what is it that drives you to get there in the first place and it's got to be something that needs to be dealt with in your own personality in your own psyche in your own experience of life right yeah 
Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I will have to ask that question. Mm. Uh, I'm gonna have to give it an over though. I'll give it an over. It's, uh, it's it's absolutely it's necessary to have journalists on the the battlegrounds, man. Yeah, man. And it, it, documenting you know, war crimes and and all the rest of it. I and, mean, and, I don't feel a lot of pride or a lot of uh, fucking any kind of positive emotion around war whatsoever mm. uh, and needless violence. It's just pure empathy and, and sadness for, for what pe- anyone who enters that theater has to go through. It's mm. fucked up. Fucking fuck your life right up. PTSD is a kind of a thing. Over and under. Over under. Joel Fitz's crib goes up in smoke along with a treasure trove of iconic crafts. Oh, mate. And all his shaping Oh, tragedy. His nest egg Vaughn gone. Yeah. Is there no justice in this world? And, uh, you know, this is not that long after Derek Hind lost his crib and all his boards mm. to a house fire. Do we dare speculate that there's some jaded ex-pro doing the rounds of a little fuel canister and a lighter Vaughn? <laughs> or is it simply... An age-old case of passing out with a three-papery between the lips and a mozzie net catching a fire. And a, and a hot mix just left under a palm tree. That's mm. uh, could be the, the true reason. But, yeah, this was a, a tragedy. Um, Fitzy, uh, in my view, one of the great shapers of the last sort of 15, 20 years. I've had a few boards off him. Beautiful outlines. Absolutely fucking just, you know, cosmic understanding of uh, volume and distribution of volume i love where he puts his wide points in the waves he's, uh, in the deck his wide points in the width uh just beautiful outlines and, and you'd expect nothing less less from you know a guy who is the son of, of one of the great design revolutionaries in terry fitzgerald but yeah tragedy man uh, some really important templates got burnt uh the templates are the story they're the story makers and uh yeah they're gone so just hoping there's a few old boards he can pull those off in different corners of the North Coast. He has been making a long, a few, but when I spoke to him the day after the fire, he was actually more stressed out about all his tools getting burnt because uh, that was his income. So he's uh, also a chippy and uh, he makes most of his coin, you know, building around the joint up here on the North Coast. And what about that? All your tools gone. Here's what we had to say. My house from three years has burnt to the ground. The home where I fathered my son, Kanoa, from one to four, where we played football down the hall, rode bikes and scooters inside the house. The North Coast dream was very much real, and I was grateful in every way to have this little blue house and a shaping bay and shed, timber floors and beautiful doors, green walls, a garden and view that reached the horizon from the hills of Byron. It's hard to say goodbye. The emotions and feelings it brings are a little too hard. Fuck, it's rough. Jeez. Oh, cool. just watching your life go up in smoke, Smithy. I mean, yeah, it is rough. A blue-collar, baller, chippy core lord who's just ground his way through the underground of surfing for decades mm. now. Losing it all in one foul swoop. Uh, but I tell you, he hasn't lost his touch in the water. Holy shit. He's kind of running off that Slater speck longevity Ah, uh, kind of tangent. Fuck, he's in good oh, nick. They are physical specimens, those Fitzies, mate. I mean, um, full triangles, upside-down triangles, ripped to the absolute eyeballs, sinewy, muscly, natural-born surf freaks. And uh, you won't see a better physical specimen than Terry Fitzgerald in Morning of the Earth. Holy shit. <laughs> brown rice and mung beans, mate. That's right. The Woo! beans and brown rice eight-pack, all dick ribs and dengue. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, uh, I did see Fitzy, and despite the initial, um, you know, heartfelt, or, you know, disconnection from all of those things that he mentions in that uh, Instagram post, he was fairly philosophical about it. And uh, I just get the feeling he's one of those guys who who very naturally lives in the moment. He's con. He's not. He's not a, a whole lot for spending all his time in the past. You know, marinating on on past deeds or past sessions or things that he did once. And he's not that far in the future. He's just, he's a full present being, mate. And uh, to me, I think it'll just be get the tools, chop down a couple of trees, and he'll have a new blue shed up in no time. Yeah, I'm sure he's already living in some kind of yurt made from yeah, exactly. uh, classical Northern River Cedar. Under. Massive under. 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 Yes. Uh, how surfers get paid, Vaughn, an insane stab doco on how waxheads get their cheese. Mm. It uh, kicks off with none other than white chocolate fully keeping his constitution in the blast furnace of a, negation, of a negotiation with Darth Vader. I mean, Paul Nord, mm. sorry. Uh, light versus darkness, young versus old, poor versus rich. It really had it all. Uh, Geordie had to cough up 500k to the dark Nord Lord. But he did get to say, fuck you to him. So, uh, money well spent. Mm. Wild series. Absolutely wild series. And um, one of the takeaways from it is it it does sort of zone in on that Geordie generation, doesn't it? The Geordies, uh, Julians, Kolohe. Dang. um, All of whom went on to, uh, how many world titles was it, Smith? Um, I'm just adding them all up, but it uh, looks as though if I carry the one and mm. minus the two from the potential and the earnings, it's a zero. It's a duck egg, mate. A big, fat duck egg. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. We've spoken about it many, many times. Um, all the talent in the world, everything there thrown at these kids, you know, young, young kids just with checkbooks fucking flying at them from every major company. Cash bursting out of his fist as he demands Smivy buy him a drink, that kind of Mm, shit. And just, uh, yeah, you know, uh, fuck, incredible careers in some ways, but you'd have to say, like, not reaching full potential for for what all of that money was getting spent on. Mm. Um, But insanely uh, fucking interesting, Uh, really, really great interviews. Uh, I think mostly conducted there by Sam McIntosh, publisher, owner of Stab. Got stuck into the nitty gritty. He always loves that stuff. But um, yeah, mate, I don't know. The battle of vibe, the grit. Sorely missing when the uh, the checkbooks start running into seven figures. It really is that multi-million dollar question is, you know, what it takes to get paid as a professional surfer. It's fucking nebulous, isn't it? I mean, it's almost like you're you got to be a pro surfer with a contemporary arts degree or some shit these mm. days. It's, uh, I mean, just what, what happens just to being a, a regular old pro surfer with a TAFE degree, Vaughn, a, mm. a, a humble concreter who throws buckets a la Shane Holmes, uh, you know, a, a bricklayer turned pro surfer. It's, it's not good enough. You've got to be all like woke and be able to, you know, mix techno to your own tracks while somehow filming yourself. I don't know, like Kepa Echero style, you've got your own camera on a tripod on some mm. autopilot it's, just, it's all very difficult very nebulous uh it's like you gotta be able to game the marketing realm it, marketing is part of a pro surfer's arsenal it's understanding what's trending what's fashionable uh it's a weird one i mean these people mm. are professional sportsmen really it should be as simple as you know putting the ball through a hoop or putting the ball between some sticks mm. it's generally how sports work. If you can get from this line to that line in a certain amount of time, uh, you'll be the best. 
you'll be well paid, but surfing, mm. not so much. No. Well, it just gets back to that, uh, you know, that weird X factor of like what makes a surfing appealing. Is it is it something that they can create themselves, or is it something that you can create in a marketing department? And then the difference between being competitively successful or appealing compared to being a, a fucking antihero, and and how that translates. Like it's just it's just cut up into so many different ribbons, and that that sort of just. Ticking the boxes of, of getting the ball in the hoop, just it doesn't always apply. And, and you know, like the money isn't like what it was in that that series. Like that that's the the absolute peak of surf culture madness. That's when the industry was all guns blazing. You had world champs and free surfers pretty much on the same dollars sometimes. And um, yeah, I just think that now uh, the best free surfer in the world, uh, or the best free surfers who are up and coming are probably on fuck all, but they're getting a little bit of exposure and they're able to surf and, and sort of milk this period of their lives for what it's worth. I think it's a healthier way to do it, don't you? You're kind of going to have to keep an eye on the rest of your life. You can't just go off being a free surfer and think that's going to pay for you, if, you know, forever. I think those days are done. Yeah. Still on the topic of how surfers get paid, Vaughn, uh, stuffing ounces of cocaine in your cornhole and walking like John Wayne mm. through customs. Uh, well, this is the other pathway, right? Yes. Well, this was the reality of how many pro surfers were getting paid prior to the 90s. And there's an excerpt floating around from a book called Gradigan Surfing in the Tiger's Lair by Jack McCoy and Mike Ritter. Um <clears throat> Touching on how surfers used to get paid before the plush days of the surf industry. Mm. Hitting its straps. Here we are. I'll, I'll just read it out. Before Bob left the Madrigal to camp ashore, he had asked Abdul to fill a 35mm film canister with cocaine. Abdul had just returned from South America with a supply of the powder. Inside the same film can, Bob stuffed a row of windowpane LSD. Salt water must have leaked into the can because when Bob opened the can, the cocaine had turned into a paste. The window pane was coated with the stuff. Thinking nothing of the consequences, Bob wiped the strip of acid with his finger and smeared the paste on his gums. He soon became lost in a psychedelic journey, revved up with cocaine, and he retreated to his platform to be alone. Later that night, a loud whirring sound alerted Bob's stoned senses. Looking up, he saw flashing bright lights directly overhead. A beam of light shone directly onto Chris and Barry sleeping on the jungle floor. Bob was sure he was seeing a flying saucer. He thought the beam of light was going to transport Chris and Barry into an alien spaceship. After a long breath-held moment, the flashing ceased and the whirring apparition disappeared. The next morning, Bob asked Chris and Barry if they had seen the UFO. Nah, said Barry, it was a helicopter, probably CIA. As unlikely as both Bob's and Barry's assumptions seem today, Barry might have been closer to the truth. During the 1960s, Indonesia was a hotbed of Cold War activity. With support from Russia and China, the country almost became a communist state until the Indonesian army took control in 1965. The CIA backed the army. Perhaps a paranoid intelligence officer worried the surfers were insurgents attempting to establish a foothold on the desolate peninsula. Actually, they were. I love that little uh, Americanized 
read on history. Oh, yes, uh, the Indonesian army took control. The CIA backed the army. What a win it was for the proud Americans yet again at the expense of, uh, what was it, 500,000 to 3 million mm. left-leaning students, mm. peasants, workers, trade unionists. Uh, classic stuff, but yet, uh, yeah, quite the, quite the tale, quite a common tale mm. in those days, wasn't it, born? Yes, uh, far out. How many people accidentally, you know, or, or intentionally had to just scoff or, uh, you know, ingest their drugs or had the balloon pop in their belly and just all hell break loose? How many fucking flying saucers do these cunts see during the 60s and 70s? Yeah, common story, Smithy. And, um, you know, uh, I think there's not too many surfers who were getting around the world in those early years who weren't, you know, getting a little bit of the old... A little bit of the old, little bit of the old, and just, uh, you know, flogging it wherever they could to keep the dream alive. Mm. Great stories. Over. <laughs> Over. <laughs> to those renegades yeah. of chasing the vige, regardless of uh, what they had to pack into a condom and stuff in their esophagus, mm. I give a massive over. We stand on your shoulders today. We do. Does John Joe Flowers have Kelly Slater's foreskin in his knee? Does Gabby shave the bits of skin that none of us can see? If you drag your filthy cone home down to the face of the old man pipe, will sparks fly from a lack of comet across the lonely night? Are the wise judges crazy? Have they fucking lost the brief? Would Shane Horan take 50 grand? Over and let us leave This way guesses The prophets will apply So scoff your shoes And ask us a question We will speak no lies Ask us a question We'll tell you no lies Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Smithy, it's been uh, a great ep, mate. One of our all-time best. Love uh, chatting with you and big thanks to Billabong for coming on as our regular ATS Swellian partners now. Uh, if we do a regular ep where it's just you and me talking shit, getting fucking stuck right up them. Hey. It's sponsored by Billabong. Hamad. So, Hamad. Up the Pretty pissed week, if you ask me. Treading the vortex, old friend of the show, wants to know, would you smoke DMT with Kaipo? The uh, mm. Kaipo Guerrero, the, uh, mm. the um, WSL commentator. It's a fairly broad question. Uh, oh. I don't, didn't, is, is Kaipo into this sort of thing, or are we just assuming that he'd, he'd be open to it? Has he talked about it openly during the broadcast, during a heat between, I don't know, Medina and... Kaloe and Dino? Well, in answer to your question, you know, I can't see why not. Seems like a nice enough guy. And, uh, I mean, uh, look, let's be real. In my previous experiences, smoking DMT, doesn't matter who the fuck you sit next to. You are <laughs> on another planet. Are you kidding me? Keep back on protection, you mutt. Uh, Joel Corby, number 10, wants to know, when's the next national tour, boys? Well, we've uh, actually just signed off on uh, the next tour with the bong. Back again, Smith supporting ATS Live. We're going to be doing um, the major CT events in Australia and a couple of little satellite events, maybe the, a few Changers ones there. 
And uh, keep an ear out to the ground, mate, for a little cheeky Rabbit Bartholomew afternoon sessions tour as well. Oh, Rabsy bra, Bugsy bra. A couple of uh, cosmic apricots going down for sure. That one's maybe. Oh, undoubtedly. I'd smoke DMT with Rabs every day of the week if I could. Fletch. Fletch C wants to know, what are your thoughts on Griffin moving to Quick? And uh, who will fill his spot in the new Billabong trilogy? And was Lakey Peak local Bronson Matey robbed in the stab high win? Um, Griffin moving to quick. Nah. Nah. I'm not losing any sleep over it. Who's going to fill his spot in that trilogy? I think I think the trilogy film is actually separate to Billabong, so it'll probably still stay the same. Uh, it'll pro- probably still be Griffin. Uh, who's in it? Seth and... Ethan. Ethan. I wonder. It's gonna have some fucking hell rail cars oh in it. Oh my lord! I wonder if the the stickers will be changed over. Has, has the film finished filming? But prior to the the sponsorship, I don't swap? think it will affect the narrative of the film. They might, they'll probably. I don't know if it's wrapped, but I, last I heard um, was that if they're working towards a finale, which they could very well be, then this will just sort of be tagged into that. Sort of, you know, it's a to be continued story, right? Mm. Like if these three uh, have spent the past few years on the same team and watching, if it goes down that sort of documentary route, how pointy end on the ratings because they had a sick year. You know, Seth kicked things off number two in the world with a second place to Kelly. Griffin won two events. Uh, Ethan made the top five. It's a hell of a story. And Griffin leaving kind of fits nicely into that narrative. Like, fuck, there's not, there's not enough room in this company for us anymore. One of us has to spread our wings. Mm. I'm a peacock, man. I gotta fly. Yeah, it's an interesting decision. It seems to be one that's based more out of just a, a personal growth rather than a, being a financial decision, which is interesting. But you know, that is the kind of decision making you'd expect Griff to come up with. He's a worldly, very mindful grommeter, mm. searching for wisdom not only in cow shit but also in the doldrums and depths of his own mind. So uh, for mine, look, mate, anything that makes Griffy, little Griffy uh, Chaz was a happy, I'm happy. Dog. Oh, sorry. So maybe this one's uh, from Camby Man. He says, uh, Vaughn, Jed, you're both proud degenerates, but are also super witty, articulate, seem driven to improve on yourselves while taking us all along for the hilarious journey. Nice. We'll take that as a comment. Well said. In our world where it feels more celebrated to surf well rather than to be able to write and publicly speak, where did your values and drive on self-improvement come from? Cheers for all the laughs, insight and inspiration. Up the fucking swillions. On your cam. Thanks, bro. Smithy, uh, where did the journey start for you to self-improvement? It uh, started with the inundation of suicidal thoughts, at which point you really have two options. Go throw yourself off a cliff or fucking do some Wim Hof, and it really just went from there. Pretty piss weak, if you ask me. Finn Upton, mate, wants to know, where are the up late bong-over eps? And if they are lost to the ether, can you record more? Iconic surf tunes, cut to smivy, lung and a hot one with Deadly's commentary is peak ATS. Funny you should ask, Finn. Up late is coming back, right, Smithy? Yes. We're, we're bringing back the culture hour of, uh, you know, getting deep dive into our favourite surf movies, our favourite surf soundtracks, uh, books we love, biographies, etc. We're bringing back Up Late, mate. Don't you worry Sick. about that. Froth and can't wait to lung one and read a passage from uh, one of Matt Elks' books or uh, Jack McCoy's books. I mean, well, Jack McCoy's only got, what, 
one book? Is that this one? I don't know, but we haven't really sat down with Jack before. And both of us know him really well. I, I was, I've, you know, from being a grommet and actually getting stuck into all these early surf movies, which were just so feel good, man. That guy actually gets nowhere near the credit he deserves, which is fucking weird because he's a legend. He's a living legend. But the actual tone of his film, Smithy, are so joyous, man. And I can't wait to sit down with him. He's a fucking champion. You heard uh, Dion. Dion Agus has really become good mates with Jack, and they've sat down together and gone through archive, like hours of unseen footage, and he's had access to shit that he says you cannot even believe. So I think there's a second coming of, of Jack, or a third or a fourth coming of Jack McCoy, and um, we may as well kick it off ourselves, mate. Sean P. Edwards wants to know, when are you going to get Hellman Harry Bryant back on to tell the two-skin story? Don't know what you're referring to there, but uh, Hazard during that live show at Manly really set back, sat back, I thought, and let sort of Noah have his night. It was a, a big film premiere. It was a big moment for Noz with everything that was going on, and I can guarantee you Haz will be back. Yeah. I mean, look, he was a late addition to that lineup. I, I bumped into him in the beer-swilling uh, blood and crushed cranium fest downstairs prior to the event, which better known as the UFC fight between Izzy and oh. uh, that Brazilian guy. But uh, so we hadn't really prepared to have the has mm. on the show, the bio has, but I wish we had because he's an absolute deep well of core bogan degeneracy and comical mishaps. We'll get him on again. Don't worry about that. We will. He'll be back. Smithy, thank you to you, mate. Thank you to the Swillians. See you next time. Original Degenerate Surf Radio Podcast. It's brought to you by Billabong.